you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the first chapter of John's Gospel. We've looked at this uh, for two weeks now uh, as we go through the book of John, and John is very clearly describing Jesus as God himself, as God eternal, as God omnipotent, uh, that Jesus was preexistent. And he describes him using um, some metaphoric language, some, dis- some descriptions where he's, he's calling Jesus things that you would be able to, to see in your mind that then forces you to consider in what way is he like these things that he's talking about. Because he's, he's talking about a theme so big and so grand that really the only way to not spend the rest of eternity talking about it has got to be pictures of something that you know something about that you can say Jesus is somewhat like this. So we're going to read together through verse 14, uh, but, but we're looking really at verses 6 through 9 today. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. May God add his blessing to his word as it's read. So we've seen a few of these metaphors at the beginning of this this, uh, chapter. The first thing that that John calls Jesus is the Word. And the Word is an idea. It's what you would use if you want to communicate a thought. If you want to say something to someone else, you would use a Word. And in many ways, God does the same. He communicates to us through Christ. If you remember in the first chapter of Hebrews, it says that, that in the past, God used to communicate us through the prophets. The prophet would speak, and God was actually speaking. And you could write down what the prophet said, and God would hold that as his words, meaning that he would defend it as though he said it out of his own voice. Uh, he claimed it. But, but, but it said, but now he has spoken to us in these times through his son. So as Jesus came into this world, it was through Christ that God communicates. If God God wants to tell us something, it was through Christ, he said it. So when Jesus preaches, you don't ignore that. It's not that Jesus is simply speaking on a theme like other people can speak on themes 
or talking about this or talking about this. When you hear Jesus speak, you recognize that Jesus himself is God. And those words are actually audible words that people heard. That is something that the prophets were never able to do. Because Jesus, I'm sure, as he taught, did not speak 17 verses. He would talk for whole days to where people were hungry and needed to find something to eat. He would explain himself, and people were mystified, and they, un- they couldn't believe that this simple carpenter's son were speaking better and more clearly than the teachers of the law, and he spoke with authority, as though somehow when he said something, you were to believe it, and it mystified people. John also called Jesus the life, and he said that Jesus was the life and that that life was in him actually. And when the word life here was life itself, the essence of life, life was in Jesus. We saw that that God has life in himself and Jesus has life in himself, which is remarkable because Jesus said, "No no one kills me. I lay my life down and I raise it up again that Jesus rose himself from the dead. That when, it, when God rose him from the dead, Christ raised himself from the dead. That it's remarkable that life is him. And that was what we saw last time. That all living things borrow their lives, whether they're, they're uh, headed for hell or heaven. They borrow their life from God, and they will return it to God when they're done with it. Uh, now, today we're going to Uh, finish that concept, that third concept that John started, and I mentioned it last time, the idea of light, because it was so close, it was in one verse, that that light, that in him was life, and that life was the light of men. So Jesus is compared here as the light. Um, When you look at the the word light throughout John, it's it's one of the biggest of the themes in John. And even into the letters of John later, as he wrote to the churches and he wrote to individuals, that he's claiming that God is light and in him is there's no darkness. That there's the idea of light being truth or exposure or, di- or disclosure, just showing who God is. That God, for God's own reasons, wants the universe to know who he is. And it was his best plan that he do that through, through creation. He created men and then became a man. And that there's not a person that's ever lived in this world that's never scratched their head and, and thought, why, for what purpose, for what reason would there be a need for that? Except that God is a God who no one would know about, no, no minds would know about unless he tells you. And the way he tells you is by allowing you to see. And in order for you to see, you already know that you must have light. So Jesus is, is depicted here as itself essential light. Now we'll see later, John the Baptist is quoted, Jesus says, he was a lamp and you came to his light for a time and you enjoyed that light while you had it. And then he was taken from you. When, when, when John talks about John the Baptist being a light, he uses the word like flashlight or lamp. Something that you would take, like a candle, that you would take from here to here, that you would bring light with you. But the light is in the candle. When Jesus is shown his light, he's light, the actual light. And so I wanted to kind of just say, what does that mean? So when I teach light, 
it's interesting because light is, light is really energy. It's vibration energy. And light has lots of different things that we're blind to. There's many different forms of light, if you want to think about it, that the human eye can't see. If you slow down light, slow its frequency down, it turns into heat. I, was at a, I had a campfire once in our backyard, and we had a, an, a horse pear tree. I don't know if you know what a horse pears are. It means they're lovely, beautiful pears that no one can eat. They're worthless, but they're lovely. I mean, they would look great in a bowl, but no one would want one. And I had so many thousands of pears from that tree, and I would just every day throw them into the woods. Well, I had pears all around the campfire, and the campfire was just to the point where it was burning down. The only thing that was left was just red coals, and it was pitch black dark. And so I took one of those pears, and I threw it into the fire, and immediately I had a black shape of a pear laying on the coals. Because what happened is that fire was so low that it was barely letting off light, just barely. And as soon as I put the pear onto that coals, it sucked up the remaining of that energy, and it stopped being light and turned only into heat. Now, we can't see heat. Our eyes can't see it. We can see red, but we can't see things lower than red. So if you, if you reduce it down, you've got heat. If you keep reducing it, you've got microwaves. That's how your cell phones work. If you reduce it down, you've got radio stations. Well, you can't see a radio wave. And if you speed it up, you can't see ultraviolet causes your suntan, and you can't see x-rays that the doctor uses, and you can't see radi- radiation waves that, that the radiation doctor uses. But it's all the same. It's energy. But if you were to take that very small sliver of that energy from red to purple, and you put it on the back of, of a functioning eye, everything is visible. Suddenly now, you are now able to see. And it's not that you're seeing the light. You don't see light. You're seeing everything that that light is shining on. Suddenly the things that are in your reality, that are in the room with you, that you're looking at, you can actually perceive. Those things were there a moment ago, and you couldn't see them at all. They were already there. They were real in the world. They were real in the universe, and you were completely blind to them. So Jesus here, John, is saying is something ridiculously serious. He is saying, in order for you to see what's real, you must have light. And in order for you to see what's real, you must have Jesus. That there is nothing real that you can perceive. It's as real as real, but you are unaware of it. It's right in your face, but you can't see it. It's as if it doesn't exist. And that the world is in darkness And if there is any perception of what God is wanting you to know, the reality that he's wanting to tell you about, Jesus must be here. So when you think that Jesus just came to die for your sins, you're way shortening Jesus' who he is and what his office entails. Jesus is God's communication. Jesus is life itself, and Jesus is the way that God is showing the universe what real looks like. And there are spiritual realities and physical realities that mean nothing to people who have sightless, blind eyes. So when you see the, the, the start through the life of Jesus and he's doing miracles, and you wonder why, why miracles? Why not just Jesus did this and then this and then this? Why not events like a novel? 
a lot of what you look at in the miracles is what did Jesus come to do? What was his purpose? And the miracles are showing what Jesus did that wasn't done first. That's the idea. You have to have God intervening in this world. And Jesus is coming as a light. It's, it's light. And remember, so if you were to have a soul that's prepared, just like that functioning eye, if you have a soul that's prepared, that's quickened, that's a New Testament word, your soul was quickened, okay, meaning that it was dead, and God turned it into alive. And once that living soul is ready, when Christ shines on it, things are visible. You see what you did not see. When, when Paul told his testimony, he said, it was like scales fell from my eyes. And I could see, but I couldn't see before. It was almost like that there was something separating me and what I was looking at. And I didn't know it was there. And then the scales fell from my eyes and I was blinded. Interesting that it was the light from God that blinded him first. And then the miracle was that Ananias came and put his hands and said, Brother Paul, receive your sight. I think that's very interesting. God's light can blind and give sight which is a scary thing. To stare straight into the sun is to blind yourselves. That's interesting. But to look into the sun, that's where light comes from. But you're, you can't handle it. Your capacity can't handle it. Several years ago, there was a, there was a partial eclipse all over West Virginia. And, and, of course, it was right at school time. And we decided to send the kids home at noon because we could not trust that the kids would not look straight into the sun because... Since the, the intensity of the sun wasn't there, they wouldn't look away. See, no, you don't have to tell a kid not to look at the sun because the second he does, it hurts and they look away. That's no problem. But if you could stare into an eclipse and ba- basically be blinded in the back of your eyes at the same time, but it's not hurting you, tell me that that's not the picture of sin. The, the, the idea that you could look at God. There are people who preach from pulpits who do not know God at all. There are people who claim to be Christians and claim to have a gospel of this and the gospel of that that they want to share with you and want you to have a, a, something to take home with you that has nothing to do with what God has done in this world. But when, a, when Jesus shines on a prepared soul into a quickened soul, at that moment they can see. And it's at that moment that they know they've offended a God. They know they have. Because they recognize who God is. Because light does something. And we're going to see over the next few weeks that John is now talking about Jesus being the light. And he's going to say, Jesus is now going to shine his light on various realities. Can you go back to chapter 1 just to look at what we're going to see over the next few weeks? So it says, first of all, that he was not the light, John the Baptist, not the light. This is what we're going to talk about today. and But that he was there to be a witness for the light and to, or I'm sorry, uh, the message and to be a message. That he was to preach a message and he was to be there for a message. And that's what we're going to look at today. That Jesus is shining his light on what ministry is. What is ministry? What do you do in this world? What is our purpose in this world? Why do not we go to glory right now? Why are we left here in a world of darkness if Jesus is the light of the world why are we here? And then, you're, then you can scratch your head and go, oh, yeah, he said that we were the light of the world. That's interesting. How can I be the light of the world? I see darkness in myself to the extreme. But Jesus is the light of the world. So suddenly there's a purpose for ministry 
that the light Jesus is going to shine on so we know what ministry is. That's what hopefully we'll speak about today. Then it says, uh, starting in, I don't have any verses here. Um, oh, the world did not know him. The world didn't know him. When, they came, when he came, they didn't know him. So you're going to see that, that Jesus shines his light on what an unbeliever is. What is an unbeliever? What does it mean that you can look into the face of your creator and not know? Jesus can stand on a boat and say, stop. And the waves stop and the winds stop because they recognize the voice of their creator. But yet he can talk to a person and they not recognize their creator at all because there's a deafness and a blindness in their heart that they can't see. Jesus once said to the Pharisees, if you claim to be blind, that would be one thing, but you're claiming you can see, so you won't be forgiven. If, you think you've, if you're acting like you can see, well, then you'll be judged based upon sight, even though I know you can't see. That's what Jesus said. So we'll look at belief. What is a believer? What is an unbeliever? And what does the light of Jesus do as he shines on that? So they, receive, they came to his own, but as many as received him, it becomes power. And then we'll look at the gospel, the new birth. What, is, what does Jesus say about the new birth? What does it mean to be born again? And what does it not mean? And then we're going to look at how, what, 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 how the light shines upon the person of God, the Father himself. How is God disclosed by giving us light to see him with? Eye is not seen and ear is not heard, yet neither is entered into the heart of man, but you will see it. Jesus said, I'm going away and they will look for me and they will not see me, but you will see me. That's interesting. God has allowed himself to be seen. The invisible God is allowed to be seen as he made Jesus' light to shine onto our souls that we can see. So as we look at that over the next few weeks, what does it mean? We're going to look now at this, this full of grace and truth, this, this eternal light of Jesus shining onto ministry. And we're looking at it specifically John the Baptist. So if you'll go to verse 6, we'll start there in verse 6. Verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, very, very clear, it's not John that he's talking about, not John the apostle. He's not talking about himself, the writer. Uh, John never refers to himself in this book. Um, he always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. There are four references of the name John that are actually Peter's father. At the end of the book, we see a couple of references to him. All the other references to John is John, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist um, is a unique person. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Um, he was a superstar during his lifetime, his short life. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from, from before birth. Um, he had a miraculous birth. And God sent him. So without a doubt, he was sent from God. But the first thing that, I, that stuck out at me as I read this verse was there was a man. There was a man sent from God. So we have just talked about the preexistent Christ, who is the word of God and the life of God and the light of God. And we're looking at these enormous, gigantic themes. Then it almost stops. You almost have an abrupt change. There was a man sent from God. So the first thing is that you have, you have this huge contrast. You've got a man. So that's the first thing I wrote down in terms of 
is there a gospel? What is a gospel ministry? You're going to have a woman or a man. That is the first thing. If to be to minister to this world, it is not the Son of God. The Son of God said, you will do greater things than I did because I returned to my Father. The commission was given to us to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It was, it was to us, the weak. It was to us, the never quite get it right. It was to us, the inconsistent that God has called us to have the most beautiful thing. Paul said, we are an earthen vessel with a treasure in it. Gideon had a pot, clay pot with a torch in it. And that is what we're to be. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, from God, is, there's no doubt at all. And I'm not going to say that we had angelic, uh, that our parents were greeted by angels to tell us that we were going to be uh, born, that our um, elderly 80-year-old parents uh, were able to have children, um, and that, that there, were, there were miracles that attached that. It didn't happen. We are in a normal situation. But John was a prophet sent from God in a very specific way. In John 11, I think it's 11.11, Jesus says um, there wasn't a greater born of men than John Baptist. And you think about it, you think, well, does it mean that John the Baptist was more smart or more influential or had more of an effect on people or did, was he better or was he nicer or was he more holy? Because I read how that John the Baptist had to send to Jesus and said, okay, I know that I told everyone that you are the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, but are you the one that's coming or should we look for someone else? Do you see? It was a man sent from God whose name was John, who was a man like us that never gets it right. So it's important that we know that it's a man but this man was a particular man. And so when Jesus said he was, there was no greater a born of women than John Baptist, it was really in terms of his role, in terms of his, the enormity of his purpose was to be the forerunner. It was to, to run ahead of the king and tell the town that the king was coming. It was the herald, and he acted as a herald, to prepare the hearts of the people so as John was talking about his own ministry and as John the Apostle was talking about the ministry of John the Baptist, he was really talking about his own ministry. John the Apostle knew that he had the same ministry as John the Baptist, knew it. Now, what is that ministry? So, so look at it. We'll, we'll look at what that ministry is, at least as, as a, part, a part of this. Now, let's look at, the, at John the Baptist from the other passages, because this is all that's given. We're going to see him later in the prison in, in the book of John. Uh, he's he's going to lose his head for, for standing up for what is right. He actually speaks, uh, speaks truth to power and uh, had to pay for it with his life. We'll see that later. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about John Baptist in some strong words. So first one I went to is Mark 1. This is Mark 1, 6. And John was clothed in camel's hair and had a girdle of skin about his loins and did eat locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than, than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. 
Okay, so interesting. In three short verses, we know so much about him that it makes me puzzle. I'm wondering, wow, there's a lot of questions I would have. So first of all, you have this, this camel hair coat. I had a camel hair jacket once, and it was itchy even through my shirt and T-shirt. I could, it would itch me. So to, to have camel hair is really a picture of the old prophets. You think, of, you think of Elijah who wore camel hair like that and a leather belt. So in some ways, he showed himself to be the prophet, like an Old Testament prophet. He was, in fact, there wasn't anybody that didn't think he was. All the people thought he was a prophet. The king thought he was a prophet. Everyone recognized that for 400 years there was silence, and all of a sudden John Baptist comes, and you could see that, uh, that God was speaking again, and it was delightful to people. Um, it said that he ate locusts and wild honey, which I just think is gross. I like the wild honey part. But uh, I, don't, I don't know how it's different. You probably could tell me how wild honey would be different if it's different because I don't know that it would be dif- different at all. But, but really, what you're going to see is from the beginning, he was a Nazarite. And you remember Samson was a Nazarite. His hair would not be cut. He could not eat any grapes. He couldn't drink any wine. There were certain restrictions he had. There were dietary restrictions. So eating locusts and wild honey, and then you go back to the law of Moses, and you realize what is legal for a Jew to eat and what is not that would be on its own that you could pick in the, in the wilderness because he lived in the wilderness of Ziph. He lived along the, the Jordan River in the middle of the desert. This was the same place, exactly the same place that David hid from Saul in the, in the barrenness. And if, you, if this is where you're going to live, what are you going to eat? And what are you going to eat that's legal according to God's dietary laws? And that was locusts and wild honey. And John was like, that's good enough for me. I had an uncle that you would go to someone's house and they would, they would say, would you like this and like that? And he was, he was just kind of, a, kind of a good man and he just said, Oh, ma'am, that's okay. Rolled oats is good enough for me. As though, you know, it doesn't matter what you feed me. But he was able to live there, really live there. And he ate locusts and wild honey because that was what was there. That was what God provided that God said was legal. And he wanted to, to obey. And he was strong. He was a preacher. But he did not preach himself. He didn't say, be like me, do like me. You know, let's all have a a John the Baptist cult. It didn't work like that at all. He preached Jesus. Now look what it says here in Mark. It says, there's one coming after me that's mightier, that I'm not worthy to even unloose his shoe, which is what the lowest of the slaves would do when you wash someone's feet. You would untie their shoe, you'd take off the shoe, and you would would wash the, the filth off their their feet. He said, I'm not worthy to be the lowest slave of this man who's coming after me because this is the very Messiah of God and he's coming imminently. He's coming immediately. In our lifetimes right now, he's coming. Prepare yourselves. And he was a preacher of holiness. And it said in verse 8, I indeed have baptized you with water. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Interesting. So, Baptize means to, to completely submerge, to immerse, to go down inside, to where that the water's in front of you and on top of you and under you and beside you and behind you, that you're contained in it, right? And the water was a picture. Baptism was used whenever a Gentile wanted to be a Jew. 
If a Gentile saw that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the God of heaven and earth, and he was willing to simply say, I want to follow you, what they would do in order to picture that you are going to wash your sins away, that you're going to wash your filth away, they would put them down into the water and pull them back up. Now, the Old Testament idea was not what a New Testament idea is. When we baptize someone, we are showing a picture of what happened to you when you died, that you went into the grave with Jesus Christ, and when he came out of the grave, you came out of the grave, that you're, the old man that displeased God is dead and buried, and you came out res- resurrected, able to live for the first time. That is a picture of baptism. John's baptism, which was simply taking this action of let's wash your sins away so that you can come to the real God. He said, we need this here with Jews who are filthy and you must wash your sins away in terms of repentance. So John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Do you want the real and true God? Who is coming right now? Are you wanting this? Is it desirous of you? And people came out in their droves. They came out from Jerusalem and they emptied the Jerusalem to him. They came and they were baptized, confessing their sins in the Jordan River. And so you see that he is a preacher. He's proclaiming, but he's pointing people to Jesus. He's not pointing people to himself. So I see that as a minister. A ministry that we would have with our neighbors, with our family, with the people who you love and the people that you would rather move away is the people is that your ministry is that you will point people to Jesus. You do not point people to yourself. You do not want people to be like you. You're not trying to get a click. You're not trying to get an association or some kind of a club. It doesn't work. You are pointing people to the true light. You are the light that points to the true light. So when the moon shines light, the moon produces no light. The moon is just a reflection of the true light. The sun shines on the moon, the moon's angle is right, and the moon is shining on the earth so brightly that it looks like someone's in your driveway putting their lights up against your your garage door because the moon is so bright. Well, that moon is, is just as dark as dark. The sun is reflecting, and in some ways... That lamp that John the Baptist is, or the light of the world that we are, is a reflected, derived light from the real light. Uh, And you point people to Jesus. That is it. There is nothing else. You, to have a gospel ministry, to have a gospel minister, by the word ministry just means servant. A minister just means servant. That's all it means. Someone who is your servant is someone who is, is, in every way, searching the scriptures to say, in what way does this passage, which is forever and always established, O God, your word is established in the heavens. That's Psalm 119. Established. Whether you like it or not, it's firm, fixed, permanent. Your word will never pass away, even though heaven and earth will pass away. And when someone goes to your word and doesn't make it say what you want it to say, doesn't try to invent something, but simply says, in what way does this established permanent word point to the Lord Jesus? Then it nourishes a saved soul. It is what gives you power, what gives you thrust, what gives you energy, what gives you the next drive to go on, and it is what converts the soul. It is what allows you to say, oh God, I see. In that, then you cry out, 
Once you see, you'll cry. Once you're born, you cry. Once you're born, you cry. A newborn baby then cries. Once God put, quickens your heart and then shines the light of Jesus onto your soul, then you see. And the Holy Spirit is your teacher. Now we simply go around each other and encourage each other and stir each other up to love and good works and point each other continuously back to Jesus. So anybody that would sit in a church and be bored because he's Johnny One Note. He only talks about one thing. He's only talking about Jesus all the time. I, I ministered to the Hispanics. In fact, I even got a job working at the Mexican restaurant in, in Charleston. And I was sharing the gospel with three or four guys at the table while we were rolling napkins. We were rolling silverware. And the owner came in. And the owner I had shared the gospel with numerous times, numerous, numerous times. And any, such a nice lady, uh, both she and her husband were so nice to me. And in any case, she whispered to the guys at the table, she said, Brian is so nice, he talks about Jesus a lot. That's what she said. As though he, he has reduced religion only down to Jesus. So you need to overlook that. Because we all know that religion is all this, but he focuses only on the Jesus part. So just show him some niceness. That's basically what she was saying. Be nice to him. He's a nice guy. That's all there is. For as long as you know me, that's all you'll hear from me. And as long as your friends know you, that's all they should hear from you. If you are pointing to yourself, don't. You point only to Jesus Christ Don't point to the things you want that person to be corrected in. Don't say you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to straighten up that. That's the Holy Spirit's job, not yours, not mine. So to have a pastor that you think is a coach, you're misinformed. A pastor is not a coach. To think of a pastor as a religious instructor, to the point that he points you to Jesus from every passage that he studies, I will say yes. To any other degree, say no. It is not someone who, is, who will help you. He's not a helper. He's not an assistant. He's not someone because you are as much a minister as I am. You have a different ministry with different congregants. It's actually easier to, to prepare something for someone who's willing to sit and listen and engage in what you're saying than it is to live out your life in front of your neighbors and do the hard work of pointing people to Jesus with three words not 30, or not 3,000. That's harder. And it's something required of us. So a minister is a man, a simple man, a simple woman, who has a message about the light. And you're not talking, and it's interesting that the light is only allowing you to see, but the message is also about the light. So if you'll look then at John Baptist and John 1, it, let's go back to John 1 and see what it says. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. Interesting. He didn't come as a witness because if you say as a witness, then he was the witness. He came for a witness. The witness means the message, what he had to say. He came because there was something to say. There was a message. And then it said and to bear witness of the message. 
Now, interesting, to bear witness is the verb. He's doing something. He's saying something about the message, but then he came for the message. The message is that we have offended a holy God and are not right with him forever, and that Jesus Christ came and lived in our place and then died in our place. That's it. That's the message. If that's not enough for you, you're not a saved soul. It truly is that way. It, there is that delights, that refreshes, that feeds every believing soul. If I know that Jesus lived in my place, then I know that God accepts me on his base, then I'm safe because I'm not, I can't spin it in front of God. I can spin it in front of you, but I can't spin it in front of God. When I stand in front of God, I know I'm guilty. I know that he's righteous and I know he will judge. And those three things will always mean my damnation every single time. I can follow those three things and I will always be damned at the end unless he's holding Jesus up and saying, Jesus lived in your place, I will accept him instead of you. I'm back to normal, I'm back to life. That is now life. And if, if I knew, Martin Luther said, that my sins were forgiven, I would stand on my head for joy. If I knew... Do you see it? Everything else is delightful because the God who has now saved me is the God who made everything there is. The God that filled the mines with diamonds is the same God that saved me with Jesus Christ. The, the God that put everything in this world that man hasn't the slightest inkling what real science is yet, that we, we're, we're completely bumbleheads in terms of what God has really done in this universe. We are, we've got our toe in the very first inch of water of the ocean that is in, immeasurably deep. And we are still arrogant about that, by the way. But for whatever we know, it's because God is allowing us to know and he is inviting us to know and he's enjoying it and have a soul that's saved because the light of Christ has shined on you and you're alive. Now you can live. I tell you, the gospel is all that you need. The gospel is all that you need. And you preach the gospel to yourself first every day. Then you preach the gospel to the ones you love. And then, with God's grace, you preach the gospel to the ones you hate. That's the way it works. And by the way, living out the gospel, living out the gospel is how you preach the gospel. You live it. That's how you preach it. And then you reinforce it with your words. So it says that he came for a witness, and he came to bear witness that all men through him might believe, or uh, yeah, might believe. I immediately thought, "Ooh, it's saying two things." It's saying two things through him. Who's the him? You've got two men in this verse. You've got the fact of this light, which is Jesus Christ, the man, and you've John, the speaker. Who is believing? Is do you believe through Christ? Do you believe on Christ through Christ? And I'm not positive. I, the, I think so. But I believe this verse is actually saying that through John, through John's ministry, some person can believe the truth about God. Because the light of, because what does God do in order to, to set your soul right so that the light can come on it? What does the moon have to do to shine? The moon has to be positioned properly. And then the light does all the work. You don't have to make the moon produce light. All you do is set the moon up perfectly, and then it's fine. That's all it is. So we see that, that the, your work in someone's life, 
My work in someone's life, someone different, someone else. John's work in someone's life was to simply put them in a critical position so that they were forced to deal with the real God. And then as they were dealing with the real God, God positions their soul in such a way that the light shines on them and they can see. That's what it is. Through your ministry, people will come to the Lord. Now, because you're holy? Oh, brother, no. Not because you're holy. Don't think, oh, it's the holy man. We are not priests. We do not do liturgy. I have a friend in in Romania that um, somebody cut him off. I can't remember. I think it was somebody... It was somebody that cut him off or did something or tried to rob him and then found out he was a pastor. And immediately they came and fell in front of him and said, oh, please don't do a black mass for me. Because they thought that because he was the holy man, that he had power over them and they didn't know who they were abusing. Oh, don't do that because I didn't realize that you could get me back. We are not priests. We don't do something that has intrinsic value of itself. God does not do something in us because we're holy people. Peter and John went to the temple and said, we have no money, stand up in the name of Jesus Christ. And the man just stood up and everybody saw it. And they were pulled into the Sanhedrin and they told the Supreme Court, do you think it was because we're holy that we were able to do that? Um, No. It was the power of the man that you nailed to a cross. That's what did it. So a simple person who has a message to tell and is willing to simply do, God does the rest. And it's powerful in the life of his church, and it's the powerful in the life of the people who do not yet know him. So that's where we're headed, Lord willing. I hope that was a blessing to you. I hope that gives you some breath in your lungs. Use it to sing. We're going to sing to God.